Morning Twitter. I'm Zara Hirji, and she is Stephanie McNeil, and you're watching AM to DM. That's right, it is election day. I actually already voted. I hope you guys are planning on voting too, but we also have a very big day here on the show because it is Zara's first time hosting with me. Zara, I'm so glad you came all the way up from DC to make your AM to DM hosting debut. But you've been on the show before. I have been on the show before. You know, my normal hat is being the energy and climate reporter at BuzzFeed News, and I've come to talk about volcanoes or hurricanes. But it's great to be here today, and thankfully there's early voting in DC, so I didn't even have to worry about that. Well, been done for weeks. You've chosen a very <laughs> chill day opposite. You've chosen like the biggest day ever to make your AM to DM hosting debut. But before we get into all of the election day stuff, we wanted to play a little game with Zara that we've played a few other times with other guest hosts to help you get to know her better. It's called Two Truths and a Lie. And she has prepared Two Truths and a Lie for us. So take it away. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. Thing number one, I have walked on lava. Thing number two, I have climbed Mount Kilimanjaro. And thing number three, I have held a moon rock. Those are all extremely badass things. <laughs> like, I, I kind of, I think that you're like super cool and a huge badass, so I feel like you probably did all of them. I don't know. I don't know. What do you guys think? We're going to tweet out a poll, try to guess Zara's two truths and a lie, or you can just tweet us at AM2DM, and she will respond after the show, and she will let us know which one is the lie. Maybe none of them are. Just kidding. <laughs> so before we dig into the election news, I know everyone is dying to hear about that. We're going to talk about what is arguably the most important news of the day. Idris Elba has been named People Magazine's Sexiest Man Alive. Kate has tweeted, and in being named Sexiest Man Alive, Idris Elba used his new platform, Twitter, to encourage everyone to get out and vote. Now that's sexy. Yeah, I feel like this was long overdue. He has definitely been the sexiest man alive for at least, I don't know, how old is he? 40 years? I guess now he's 30, was a, right? No. I guess now he was a baby. <laughs> yeah, but it's like, I feel like you cannot get away from voting news today, even in this huge People Magazine spread. Idris yeah. Elba, who's not even American, is talking about voting, so it's definitely on everyone's minds this morning. Yeah, it's a sign how everyone is paying attention to what's happening today. Yes, well, Twitter, we want to hear from you. I saw some of you already sending us on our hashtag some I Voted stickers. That's so cool. We want to hear from everyone watching our show. Are you voting? Where are you voting? What are the key issues you're interested in? Tweet us using your hashtag AM2DM. Send us some selfies. We want to see it. We want to celebrate everyone doing their civic duty today. Absolutely. Well, moving along to the, all of the election coverage, here's a tweet from BuzzFeed News reporter Emma O'Connor. The year of the woman makes it sound like the year of the caribou or the year of the asparagus, the memo states. We are not a fad, a fancy, or a year. Okay, so that comes from the group Emily's List about the record-breaking $110 million they have raised to help elect pro-choice Democratic women. And we are joined now by Emily Kane, the executive director of Emily's List. Good morning. I'm so glad to be here. 
Happy election day. Hey. Thank you so much for coming on. Happy election day. It's like our Olympics. You know, it's, <laughs> we've been waiting for this. Um, and today is going to be a great day and a great night, I believe, all across the country. It is such a big day, I know, for your job, my job. There are nearly 600 Emily's List endorsed women on the ballot today, which is incredible. Who are some of the candidates that you are most excited about that haven't gotten as much press coverage nationally? Well, you know, at Emily's List, we're endorsing candidates that are all the way down the ballot to state legislator and all the way up the ballot to governor and U.S. Senate. So in the last six weeks, I've been traveling across 11 states and in each place, making sure I'm visiting with state and local candidates like Lee Snodgrass, who's looking to flip a state Senate seat up in Appleton, Wisconsin, and also to you know, governor's races like Janet Mills in my home state of Maine, who I believe after tonight will be Maine's first woman governor. Um, These women are looking to make history uh, at every level. Um, Seats like Illinois 14, Lauren Underwood, she's a 32-year-old African-American nurse. Her district has never been represented by a woman or a person of color, and that's going to change after tonight. So I think the, the story is who these women are, why they get out of bed to do this impossible chore and task of running for office, and how proud we are of them as we head into the big day today. So what is Emily's List doing to make sure that 2018 isn't just another year of the women? I'm glad you asked. It's not just another year of the woman or blue wave or pink wave. At Emily's List, we believe this is a sea change moment for women in politics and for democratic politics. And how do we know that? Because we've been doing this for 33 years, working to elect pro-choice democratic women. And for most of that time, we've been recruiting women to run for office. Well, in 2016, with a woman at the top of the ticket, We had our highest number ever of women who reached out to us to say they wanted to make a plan to run for office. That number was 920. Well, then the 2016 election happened. And while we were feeling down and sad, the women of America were stepping up. Within one month of that election, more than 1,000 women reached out to us to say they wanted to make a plan to run for office. And I'll just cut to the chase. A few weeks ago, we announced that number is now more than 42,000 strong. We have hundreds and thousands of women on the ballot right now, but these women aren't going anywhere. This is a sea change. These women will be taking on leadership roles and running for office for the next five to 10 years. And Emily's List will be here for it every step of the way. It's so encouraging to see more women taking a step to run for office. Um, 11 of Emily's List candidates would be the first black woman ever elected in that office, which is both incredible and sad that this has taken this long for that to happen. But you also have a lot of other people. You have LGBT, LBGT candidates. You have Native American candidates. How is Emily's List supporting these women who are facing even more of an uphill battle than, say, a white woman running for a position? Well, you know, Emily's List is on the ground very early in these districts, working to recruit women to run for office. And we believe that a true representative democracy is not only made up of at least 50% women, but that those women look like America, which is why we're so proud to be supporting history-making candidates like Sharice Davids, who will be the first Native American woman and the first LGBTQ Native American woman elected from Kansas into the U.S. House this year. Women like Stacey Abrams, who I'm sure you've heard of, my friend and and hopefully someday yours, the the next governor of Georgia, who will be the first African-American woman governor ever in in our country's history. Or you can go to Texas and talk about Sylvia Garcia and Veronica Escobar, 
who will be the first two Latinas ever sent to Congress by Texas. It's 2018. I thought that would have already happened by now. So we're going to double down and send at least two of them this year. Um, Emily's List is supporting these women from day one. We're investing in their campaigns. Uh, 20% of the women, the money we have spent this year on independent expenditures, that's through our super PAC Women Vote, has gone to support women of color. Um, but we're also doing trainings. We've trained more than 5,000 women this year, with a large percentage of those women being women of color, women from communities that need to be more uplifted in, into our elected office, into our elected positions. And Emily's List is so proud that in our 33 years, 40% of the women we have helped to elect have been women of color. We only see that number growing as we head forward. Well, thank you so much for having us. It's been great talking with you. Thank you so much. If you haven't already voted, don't forget to vote and elect women. <laughs> I think that's something that we can all get behind. <laughs> there is so much going on with the midterms, this election. I know for a lot of people, it can be a little confusing, right? There's so many races all over the country, but we at BuzzFeed News are here to help you keep track of it all. We're here for you. We got gotcha. you. Don't worry. Check out our 2018 midterm election guide by BuzzFeed News politics reporter and editor, Katherine Miller. And if that wasn't enough for you, if you want to see something live with David Mack and Catherine, you know we love them on the show, tune into our election show tonight. It is right here on Twitter. It starts at 7 p.m. Eastern, and it's a.m. to d.m. at night talking about the elections. What more could you possibly want? I know that's what you want, obviously, right? More a.m. to d.m. I, yeah, more a.m. <laughs> to d.m. is always a good thing. P.m. to d.m., maybe. I don't know. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, for sure. Well, everyone is talking about two big governor's races today in Georgia and Florida. And we are really lucky because our national reporter, Darren Sands, has been one of the only reporters covering these two races since day one. He has such a great depth of knowledge on these two races. And he is going to join us now from Atlanta. Darren. Hey, guys. Good morning. How's hey. it going? I'm good. I'm good. How y'all? Good. Good. And we're happy to have you join us. So thank you. Yesterday sure. you tweeted being in Georgia. It's something else to see in person. The commercials tying Stacey Abrams to a radical socialist agenda and to Hillary Clinton, as if it's some revelation that Abrams supported her. Can you break down what's going on here? Uh, yeah, it's I mean, it's so interesting. And you know, one of the dynamics of the race that's um, kind of happening at this point where it's the last minute and really the you know, it's about turnout at this point. Um, it, it seems like the Republican side is really trying to, um, you know, downplay, I think, some of the excitement. And so that's one of the commercials that's running. It's 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 basically her in a bunch of taped like sort of setting. She did a lot of town halls um, this cycle and so it's it's basically her speaking um and really saying lots of regular things but it's one of the tactics that i think is is used to maybe scare people um one of the dynamics of the race is that there are lots of independents in in georgia and so really both sides are really trying to i think you know attract both of uh, uh, uh attract those independents to to their agenda and to their side and i think one of the things that's happening is that they're basically trying to say well, this is someone who is unacceptable um someone who can't lead our state and so it's just interesting it's it's not really um fighting on you know on the substance of of of, of our arguments um it's really just one of the tactics that's being used that i think 
um, to scare people out of, you know, voting for her. Yeah. Yesterday, Kemp, who is the Republican nominee, said that the Black Panther Party is backing Stacey Abrams. Why was that rhetoric in particular so uh, significant? Yeah, I think it's meant, again, to um, really get people uh, to have negative associations with the candidate. Um, this is the same thing that's happening in Florida. Um, Andrew, uh, Andrew Gillum um, is running against Ron DeSantis. And, and what the, one of the things that DeSantis has done in the debates is talk continuously about the Dream Defenders. And the Dream Defenders are was a group that's that was founded uh, in 2012 after um, Trayvon Martin was killed. Um, and so, you know, and Andrew Gillum had actually worked with them um, in the past and, and, and was one of the people who um, was... was um, you know, instrumental in helping groups um, understand how to, you know, navigate um, Tallahassee. And sort of, he was always been sort of an organizer. And so, um, I don't know anything about Stacey Abrams and her association with like the Black Panther Party, but I think that's one thing that like Republicans are doing. And this this association by you know is is really meant to I think make people sort of um, you know. Uh, I'm not scared, but like also just to have like these associations in their minds that, um, it, you know, are like that make groups seem nefarious or dangerous. Um, and so I, I, I don't give it much credence, um, but it's one of the tactics that's you know, being used um, this cycle. So we've talked about voter suppression a lot on the show, especially in Georgia. The DOJ is sending monitors to 35 locations, but not to some of the hotspots in Georgia. And is that surprising? Um, not surprising. Um, I think there's, you know, obviously voter suppression is one of the things this cycle that, um, you know, Democrats have had to use as a tool uh, to get people excited and, and get people to sort of understand um, this, this, there's this one line of logic that that, that Democrats are using, and, and basically is that you know if you are um, if they don't want you to vote, there's a reason, right? Um, and so, there, Stacey Adams, for instance, has 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 really hammered home this idea of not letting people take you know your vote away, your power. That's your um, you know, people like John Lewis, for instance, based here in Atlanta, um, a one of the perhaps the foremost voting rights, um, you know, champion that our country has ever had. He's been out there really pushing this idea that Democrats, you know, can't no one really can um, let their vote go to go to waste. Um, and so we're going to be out there looking at this issue, making sure that people um, their right to vote is protected. Um, you know, Brian Kemp is um, the Stacey Abrams's uh, opponent, but he also happens to be the Secretary of State, um, and under his purview is you know the elections, and that's a. I mean, he was asked um, and and pushed really to um, resign from his position, but it's something that he didn't do. But so that's going to be a problem. Today, I think people, if the results, whatever they are, right, um, are going to, I think in a lot of ways, you know, there's going to be a lot of things to point to 
um, from both sides uh, that people would think that, you know, that this thing didn't go right. So, like I said, we're going to be out there and looking at this, I think, paying attention to not just the the voter protection stuff, but um, to the monitors and, and, and really figuring out, you know, what the lawyers and people like that are experiencing and saying what people out there with long lines and things like that. Um, I think it's all kind of one of these really complicated issues, but it's something that we'll be watching closely today. Yeah, we're definitely going to be keeping an eye on that race and especially those issues surrounding voting. But I want to shift a little bit over to the East. The other big race everyone is watching, obviously, is the big governor's race in Florida. Darren, you tweeted yesterday, does the tactical restraint behind Andrew Gillum's big viral moment make the 2020 rulebook for how to deal with Trump or is raw talent impossible to teach? Darren, so you sat down with Gillum about how he is campaigning against his opponent who is very tied to Trump and whether that could be effective for more candidates against Trump going forward. Do you think that he is creating this model for how to, you know, defeat Trump Republicans? Or do you think that it is just he's a special guy? Yeah, I think it's both of those things. Um, you know, I think I, the question has always been about, you know, in, in, in our dem- in, in politics now, how Democrats are supposed to deal with Trump. This is like one of the, the biggest debate um, uh, given that Trump is a creature of his own making, basically, politically. Um, and so the, the debate is over whether or not you should you know, fight him the way he fights you, if you should do, you know, try to do your own thing. And what Mayor Gillum, I think, um, figured out is that you can't fight him at every corner, but what you can do is pick your spots. Um, and I think that combined with um, really just genuine political talent um, is one of the things that you know, has distinguished him. Um, and so whether or not, you know, this is like the template for 2020, I'm not sure. But it, it is something that people will have to watch um, from a tactical standpoint and from, I think, even just the standpoint of, you know, Gillum's future um, in the Democratic Party. I think he's just someone who they have to continue to watch and groom. And and if he becomes the governor of a Florida night, you know, come January, whatever it is, I think um, it it really represents, I think, one of the the great sea changes in in the party where you have a governor in a a purple uh, swing state um, and, and someone who I think the party can lean on to be a national leader for for years to come. Well, thank you so much for breaking down those two high-profile races for us and for joining us. Uh, Darren will be reporting live from Stacey Abrams' watch party tonight in Atlanta, Georgia, during AM to DM's special election night coverage. So please make sure to stay tuned. And later in the show, actor Dan Fogler from the new Harry Potter movie will be up here. But up next, Fire Tweets. Fire! We are 
loving those of you who have shared election day selfies with us. I want to shout out PixMaven who shared an adorable photo of herself voting. And the Snapchat says, I too have earned my adhesive prize. Gotta love it. I love that everyone is sharing, that they are voting, where they are voting. I think it's so cool to see how many people are tweeting along with us from all different areas of the country. So please, if you have voted, share your sticker, share a selfie. We want to see you guys too. You know, it's not just us. You guys have pretty faces too. Share a <laughs> selfie. <laughs> and it's great that you guys are following along. I have to say, I was really sad. So I voted a couple weeks ago, as I said, early voting in DC and my sticker immediately fell off. Like I no. came home and by the time I came home it had disappeared. But so that's why I'm not proudly vote wearing it. I'm gonna rip mine in half and I'll give half to you oh, and you can wear it at you. the end of the show. And I know you how was your voting experience? Was it smooth? It was extremely smooth. I voted in Harlem at the Balton polling station. The polling workers there were so great so nice and just had huge smiles on their face and it was like eight in the morning so I don't know if I had a smile on my face but <laughs> I really appreciated how great it was and everyone just seemed really happy to be there and be voting and I loved it it's a great experience okay are you ready to hit the button for the first time oh I'm so ready all right let's do it okay so jumping into our first tweet from Lauren Duga <laughs> Me before the 2016 election versus me before the 2018 election. Uh, yeah, we can yeah. see the side by side. Yeah. We're yeah. all Daenerys right now. That is a really, really <laughs> great meme. I really hope that meme continues throughout the rest of the day. All right. By the way, I liked, I liked your wind-up. I feel like I always do it kind of like wimpy. Oh, I've been practicing. <laughs> <laughs> all right. This is from Paul Rust. I voted Bob Saget on election day. I VO Ted. Bob Saget discussing his voiceover work for the character Ted on How I Met Your Mother. That is so incredibly dorky and I love it so much. I know. I saw that and I tweet. laughed pretty hard. <laughs> and if you can't tell, a lot of these tweets are voted, voting uh, There's theme. a theme. There's a little bit of a theme here, so don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> so our third tweet is from Carlos Maza. <laughs> Staring in the mirror. Stop being so hard on yourself. Goddamn piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> Carlos, I mean, I feel you, but Carlos, you're awesome. I know, you voted. Practically. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. He probably but you're did. Okay. Probably you're okay. You're okay. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> All right, this one's from Z Chuck. Oh, we got another meme here. Me voting in 2016 versus me voting in 2018. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Get that left shark. Oh my God, that's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> All right, are you ready for the two of the day? Oh, I'm so ready. Are we gonna hit this together? Yeah. One, All right, two, two three. <laughs> okay, so the tweet of the day comes from Soap and Deb, and it says, I'm not saying I'm thinking too much about the election. I'm just saying that when my mom asked me what she should bring to Thanksgiving dinner, I said, it all depends on turnout. That is, dum -dum. That's so that's so good. <laughs> it's so true. I mean, it depends how many people are gonna be there. It's so true. I can't even think about Thanksgiving, honestly. My life after this day has just been an empty abyss because I've been so focused on everything I need to get done today. What about you? I'm always thinking about pumpkin pie. That's so true. you know, that's in the future and I am so excited for it. That's true, that's true. Another reason to vote today. Get it over with. Head towards Thanksgiving. Well, coming up, I sit down with the star of the upcoming movie, Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grindelwald. 
Dan Fogler. And up next, we are going live from the district. Welcome back. Well, if you haven't had enough politics yet, we're going live from the district with BuzzFeed News White House correspondent, Tarini Party. Good morning, Tarini. Good morning, guys. Happy Election Day. Happy Election Day to you, too. Hey, Tarini. So what are you doing to prepare for tonight? Well, I'm just trying to stay sane before the, the madness begins. So I'm trying to take a couple of hours off this morning, which is why I'm not in our on our usual <laughs> set. I'm just kind of trying to enjoy it. Well, you look very relaxed, I must say. You do look calm. I like it. do some like yoga flows or something after the show. <laughs> well, we haven't had an election night, a big election night where Trump has been president. And we can only imagine Trump is going to be extremely logged on tonight with his tweets. So let's start with a tweet from BuzzFeed News' Henry Gomez. He said, whatever Trump says Wednesday morning, he told his supporters on a conference call that he knows the midterm results are going to reflect on him for better or for worse. So, Tarini, do you think that these midterms are a referendum on the Trump administration? So it's hard for the midterms not to be a referendum on the president when he's been out there front and center campaigning for Republicans and essentially setting the messaging priorities for Republicans as well. We've seen him really shift the messaging from, you know, the economy to immigration in the last few weeks. But one thing I want to point out is on the call, he did say that the results, you know, would be a reflection on him. But he, when the word referendum came up, he sort of gave a fuzzy answer. He said, um, you know, other people might think and the press will say that this is a referendum on my presidency. But who knows? You know, he kind of he kind of left some wiggle room there in case things don't work out tonight for him to start shifting blame. So where did Trump focus his efforts during the campaigns? So we've seen the president campaigning a lot in these red states that he won in 2016 and where a lot of um, Democratic incumbents are now up. The, the, these are crucial Senate seats that Republicans have been trying to win. And Trump has been on the road in Indiana and in Missouri in Florida, uh, trying to help um, Republicans win these seats. So do you do we think that there's going to be a huge turnout because people want to vote because of their feelings on Trump? Or is that a narrative that may be a bit overblown or do we just not know yet? I think that it's hard for uh, midterm elections not to get nationalized. And especially when you have someone like Donald Trump, um, who you know, both sides feel so strongly about. Um, so I think that, you know, part of the reason why the turnout has been so high, especially on the Democratic side, where you're seeing a lot of um, young voters, a lot of minorities very energized against the president. Um, I, I do think that is part of it. But I think in a lot of races um, the, that are very competitive, the issues have been pretty front and center as well. Um, you know, healthcare has been very big. Um, in these red states, this is how Democrats who are running in states that Trump won have been pointing to pre-existing conditions, um, talking about that a lot. So I do think that in some cases, um, you know, the, the president, of course, has energized the, the Democratic base, um, but also, you know, in, in these sort of more purple or moderate districts, the issues have uh, been uh, a driving force as well. So here's a tweet from you, Torini. Trump talks about calling up drug companies over drug prices during Ohio rally. He says, do you think Hillary would do that? I don't think so. Crowd chance, lock her up. 
Trump keeps bringing up Clinton at rallies like it's 2016. Tarini, can Trump really keep running against Hillary Clinton? 2016 is never going to end. I mean, I know <laughs> but uh, and on Twitter, but it is literally never going to end. So sorry, everyone. Um, but yes, the president keeps bringing up Hillary Clinton in rallies. Um, and, you know, the, the, the Republicans still see Hillary Clinton as someone um, very effective in terms of someone they can bring up and point to as a foil to their Republican candidates. Um, so the president feels like it's going to be an effective way to get Republicans to turn out um, even though, of course, it's two years later and Hillary Clinton is not on the ballot. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, how long are we going to be postulating about what a hypothetical Hillary Clinton administration <laughs> would be doing at this exact moment of time? Forever. I mean, forever. Yeah, maybe. So, but it's not just Trump, right? I'm hearing the name Hillary Clinton all the time from all sorts of candidates. Who else keeps invoking her on the campaign trail? And why do they keep doing this? Right. So these uh, Republican candidates in Senate races are pointing out that these Democrats that they're running against were campaigning with Hillary Clinton and were part of her campaign. Um, this is kind of a somewhat effective message because, um, again, these are states that the president, of, you know, in some cases won by double digits. So by pointing out to voters that the, the Democrat who's running, even though Hillary Clinton is not on the ballot, the Democrat running was with her. Um, and, you know, supported Hillary Clinton. So in states like West Virginia or in Missouri, um, I was with, with Trump um, at his rally in Missouri earlier this week where the Republican candidate, um, Josh Hawley, kept saying, just like Hillary Clinton, Claire McCaskill did X, you know. So that, that seemed to be a message that was really getting the crowd riled up. So what is Trump's final messaging in this last stretch? Obviously, we're on the last big day of the election. Uh, so the president still thinks, like I said, it's 2016, and he, that's essentially the same message. He is pointing to Clinton. He is, again, talking a lot about immigration and essentially telling um, Americans to be fearful of migrants who are um, moving up, you know, in these caravans towards the, the U.S. border. Um, you know, he's talking about birthright citizenship. So he's gone back to sort of that dark rhetoric that we heard a lot about in, in 2016. Um, and I think he's hoping that that sort of same messaging uh, is able to pull Republicans um, over the, to, through the finish, finish line. Yeah, it's definitely sounding a lot like 2016 in these rallies on Twitter with all of the Hillary Clinton references. Well, it's going to be a huge day, Trini. Rest up, do some yoga flows, Nikki, take a nap, and we'll see you later tonight. <laughs> Guys. We're going to take a little break from the election coverage now because I am going to sit down with Dan Fogler, star of the upcoming movie Fantastic Beats, The Crimes of Grindelwald. Stay tuned. <laughs> this is a sit down and I'm here with actor Dan Fogler, star of the upcoming movie Fantastic Beats, The Crimes of Grindelwald. Dan, thank you so much for coming on. My pleasure. So you are basically living my childhood dream right now because you are in a Harry Potter movie, which I always wanted to be in a Harry Potter movie. Okay. I was very bad at acting, but, you know, it was my dream. Were you a fan of the books and the movies before being cast? Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I didn't read the books yet. <gasps> what? But I'm going to read them with my daughter when she turns seven. Um, okay, I guess soon. that's a good excuse. Yes, thank you. You're saying uh, you're you want it to be like a, a new thing. Yes, I do. Um, and I thought it was smart because like this was my process before Fantastic. 
Hi. This is... This is my process before. Uh, I, um, I was watching uh, Gary Oldman, right? And I was like, he's an Azkaban. So I saw that movie. And then um, I kind of went back and I saw the first two. And then I went forward and I saw a couple. And then I got Fantastic Beasts. And I was like, maybe it's smarter that I don't know anything because it's a prequel. So I tried to obliviate myself before I, <laughs> I started. Uh, we love again. a spell reference. Hey, <laughs> ridiculous. Yeah, I, I mean we could just like do some Harry Potter references. Yeah, what the hell? I love that. I love Let's that. Do it. Get crazy. Well, so your character is the only Muggle slash No Match cast member. Do you ever get jealous that you can't do magic on set? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I feel like that. Yeah, it's not fair. I do really magic isn't. in real life, though. I've you been do? known to. So you're like pulling out real magic tricks on set? Well, I'm a, I'm, yeah, exactly. I'm really magic in real life, and I'm playing a non-magic person. And all these other people, they're not magic in real life, and they're playing magic people. Isn't that interesting? So you're saying, like, Eddie Redmayne, not magical. Well, I haven't seen him levitate. <laughs> unless he's got cables that I don't know about. <laughs> I feel like I feel like Eddie needs to come on the show and like defend his magical honor, right? Yeah, now. let's get him in here. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I, I feel like I don't know. You, but do you think that your character will ever get to do some magic? I guess I guess he's just a muggle, right? Or he's a nomad, just they call it in America. Oh man, I mean, I hope so. I hope that like someone like drops their wand or something, and he's like, "Here you go." Wait a minute, <laughs> and then like does something, and then. Flash slams into the wall or something. That would be hysterical. That would be pretty funny. Yeah, I don't think no matches are. Uh, well, no, they are, right? There's. What's Hermione's deal? You know about Hermione? Yeah, she. Her and her parents, like, she's both. She's muggle born. Yeah, man. Dude, you need to read the books. You're right. Then you'll have <laughs> I just made that reference. Why do I need to read that's the true, books? That's true, that's true, that's true. That's a really good point. That's a really good point. That's a really good point. I'm connected I mean, to the collective uh, unconscious here. I know what's going on with the zeitgeist. I, I picked it up. I'm in the franchise. Yeah, exactly. I hang out with Ezra Miller a little bit and you'll pick up all this stuff. Is he a fan of the books? Oh my God, yeah. He's like a super fan. Yeah. Well, speaking as a super fan, what was it like when you met J.K. Rowling? Did you cry like I probably would have? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I started, I started weeping just like you. It was, it was like, I don't know how you weep, but that's how I was weeping. No, I didn't weep. I saw, I was. I, <laughs> well, you haven't read the book, so. Right, I was like really nervous. I was like, I haven't read any books. No, I saw her and she was, uh, she was really cool, man. She, she's like a rock star. She's got that energy. Um, I was like, got off of a flight, and I was really, uh, I was like tired. Uh, and she was tired, because she was writing all night. So we both meet at rehearsals before the first movie. And I see her, and I'm a little flabbergasted, you know. Or, okay, I'm a lot flabbergasted. Well, yeah, it's J.K. Rowling. I know, and she's standing next to, she's standing there, and she has a, a, a script that is, a stack that is as tall as she is, or even taller. And I, and I, and I point to the stack and I go, do I have to memorize all that? And, and then, you know, that kind of broke the ice. And, and uh, she said, no, no, that's everything. Okay? So what I, how I interpreted that was, that, that was all five movies. That was like, she was basically grabbing all of the ideas that she had over the years that, she, they were filming the first Harry Potter movie. She's been thinking about Newt's Commander since then. So now she comes and she has this enormous script. 
uh, standing next to her, and just that, that image of her next to the, the five movies like that was just like, man, this woman is a genius. This woman, like, you know how Einstein, where it, when they cut open his brain, they found like extra folds for math? I feel like a long time from now, they're gonna cut open her brain and they're gonna see extra folds in the right side of her brain for creative writing, you know? Uh, yeah, I mean, the stuff she comes up with uh, is just so intricate. And yeah, I mean, it's so detailed and universes for side characters, you know? It, and it's just amazing to be on set because that kind of detail, everyone takes the cue from her, so everyone puts that kind of detail into everything. So you're sitting in, um, you know, Queenie's uh, in, in Tina's apartment, and there's books everywhere, and those books don't have to be filled with anything. They can just be a facade. It's not. You you pick it up, and there's like whole stories in there that. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it, like like for example, I'm I'm like a um, I love to kind of play with stuff in the environment, you know, and and uh, so in that first movie, we're sitting there in the bed, um, in, in, I'm in Queenie's bed and, and he's in Tina's bed and, and Tina comes in with the, the, the cocoa, right? And uh, I was like, what if I'm reading like, <laughs> what are the books that they have there? So suddenly there's this book that's um, about uh, this witch's cat and I'm reading this story that I'm just like, oh my God. They <laughs> it's, like a, it's like a Harry Potter book that yeah. got released. It, well, yeah, of shelves of them. Wow. And then they made a little animation of the cat jumping across, wow. you know, into that's, the girls. That's so, so awesome. So a little improv, that's how creative the whole process is. And suddenly there's someone making an animation. People are put to work and it's, it's amazing how like just a little idea like that can spin off into departments, you know, making this yeah. amazing thing happen. That is so cool. Well, I could talk to you about Harry Potter all day if you Me can tell. Too. I'm a huge Harry Potter fan. But we were hoping to play a little game with you because it's BuzzFeed. Why not? You know, we love games. Ooh. Okay, so will you play Would You Rather with me, Magic Edition? That's easy. Here's a little magic. You ready? <laughs> I think that's more like a, like a yoga class or something. Okay. <laughs> is that weird? <laughs> that's a little weird. It's not even crystal. Okay, would you rather date someone who could read your mind, like your girlfriend in the movie, or someone who could make themselves invisible? Whoa, wait, what? Whoa, what? Whoa. <laughs> That's like apples and oranges, lady. No, they're not. Okay, you're right. <laughs> I don't want anybody... You gotta pick one. I don't want anybody in my brain. Not even my wife. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with you. So right? I agree with you. <laughs> what is that? What do you mean? Do you don't, mean don't you want you your wife to make yourself? herself invisible sometimes? Because I definitely want my husband to make himself invisible. <laughs> That's kind of weird. All right, we got to move on. We got to move on. Okay. Would you rather have... I wouldn't want my wife to be invisible. I'd be Just like, me? I don't know. I'd be like, honey? <laughs> honey? <laughs> Where the hell are you? Okay, um, would you scare me? Would you rather right, we're moving on. Harry Potter have Harry Potter as a best friend or Newt Scamander? Ooh. Well, you don't know cuz you haven't read the Harry Potter books. I saw the movies, man. I can figure it out. That's a good idea. It's interesting. Harry Potter and Newt. Man, hmm. 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 
I feel like Harry, Harry would be fun uh, as a best friend. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. He's an extremely powerful, extremely powerful wizard. Yeah. Starts sounding. Like, who did I sound like there? I have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that was Chris Walken's cousin Gregory. Gregory Walken. How did I not get that? Hey, <laughs> Gregory Walken here, trying to figure out which friend I would have. That doesn't sound like that doesn't sound like anyone. I give you a B plus. It's better than it did in high school. Okay, you got to answer my question though. What was the question? <laughs> Harry Potter. Or oh yeah, yeah. Commander? Okay, okay. Harry, would be, Harry, Harry would be cool, but he's got a, a lot of he's got a hell of a lot of rules and regulations. Like I'd be like, come on, man, let's do that spell. And he'd be like, no, I can't. It's not right. Right? Don't so you think true. so? Oh Thank yeah, you. so true. And I didn't even read the book. Um, so. Probably Newt. Yeah, hanging out with Newt. Um, that would be cool. I feel like that would be like a very similar relationship. Because I'm very, like, kinship with Jacob. Yeah. Yeah. You feel him? I, I guess so. <laughs> All right, well, Dan. In the, in the we, modern vernacular. We got we to gotta end it here. Thank you so much for joining me and Thank playing you. my game. Oh You're my awesome. God. You're awesome. Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grindelwald is in theaters on November 16th. Up next, we are going to talk about the business of modest fashion. Ooh. Hey, welcome back. Uh, Bim Adewunmi, senior culture writer for BuzzFeed News, wrote, modest fashion is a big business and these women run it. Her reporting can be seen in the latest installment of Follow This on Netflix. And she joins, us me, joins me here now. Hey. Hi, how are you? I'm good, how are you doing? I'm all right, <clears throat> excuse me. Well, I, I was okay, <laughs> sorry, I, I'm fine. How are you today? I'm doing great. Yeah. I voted. I'm ready. Yeah, you've done your civic duty. I cannot vote. I'm not from here. But, you know, I wish I voted with my heart. Do you vote somewhere else? Uh, I vote in the UK. But, you know, we don't have an election this year and everything's terrible. Anyway, that's the why I'm <laughs> Moving here. Moving <laughs> on. We are here to talk about modest fashion. Yes, we are. So I wanted to start from the very top, mm -hmm. which is, can you define modest fashion for me? I mean... Yes and no. So modest fashion is um, essentially uh, a, a way of adhering to a very specific dress code based on, well, rooted in religion and based on interpretation of that. So for some people, for example, I spoke to, um, well, over the years I've spoken to Muslim women um, who consider modest dressing to be a full head covering. Some people cover half their face, some of their face and so on, or dress down to the ankle or, you know, below the knee for, you know, uh, Baptist women or Mormon women or whoever, everyone has a very specific set of rules and then they interpret within those parameters. So it's a very personal thing as well as being this other thing. But the, the root cause, the, the root element is that they are adhering to a religious code or standard. But it's flexible depending on who you are and right. the perspectives that 100%. you're coming in with. Right, and there are all these different sects within religions. There are different ways of interpreting it personally. There are some people who uh, consider modest to mean below the knee, and some others think you know that's to your neck and to your ankle, you know, down to the wrist. So there are so many ways to interpret it within the same, like under the same umbrella of modesty. 
So how did you even start digging into this? How did you find out about it? Right, so I love fashion. Um, I'm not dressed like I do, <laughs> but I promise I love fashion. Um, I you love... look great. You guys can't see her awesome green sneakers. So. They, are, they are fantastic. <laughs> I, I'm wear, at least I wore good shoes. Um, no, but I, I've always been interested in fashion and how I, I think in as much as we talk about the things that showcase who we are as people, I think we talk a lot about food and we talk a lot about the clothes that we wear and we belong to groups based on you know, how we look, what we eat, how we dress. And so I've always been interested in this idea of interpreting uh, your personal, uh, I suppose, alignment in your clothes. So um, many, many years ago, when I was a young journalist, I was interested in, in, in modest fashion. Um, so it's something that has been growing. I used to follow a blog that was a, a Mormon dresser, and she would talk a lot about why she dressed the way she did. She had the most beautiful clothes. Um, that was the first thing. I didn't realize it was a modest fashion blog until I read about it. But I loved her clothes. And so that made me think, huh, I wonder who else is out here doing this kind of thing. So it's something I've been interested in for several years. And so when I got the chance to do it for this Netflix show, I was like, yeah, let's do that because I've been interested in kind of looking at it a bit closer. Yeah, so one of the things that really struck me from the show, from your reporting, is this isn't just an industry for women, it's an industry run by women. Right. Um, so who are some of the women you spoke to and how did they even fall into this? Okay, so I spoke to um, Daniela Beer, who is a YouTuber. She has more than 500,000, that's half a million subscribers. She is... Wow. Yeah, she's... That's a lot. Yeah, I mean, like, when she said that, I was like, oh, oh, interesting. But I was like, wait, half a million? Anyway, um, she, she was fantastic. She is a YouTuber, and she started out um, essentially um, just because there was a gap. And she, she's Canada-based, so her perspective is very specifically Canadian. She doesn't wear a hijab, but sometimes she will do tutorials for people who, want, who wear hijab. Um, she has like these amazing um, hacks, how to, how to basically halalify and how to make your, your clothes more modest. Um, I spoke to Lisa Vogt, who is uh, a designer. She is a Muslim convert who's based out in Florida, and she has the first line... Um, that has been at Macy's that is for hijabis. Like it's, it's a whole line of um, dresses and skirts and scarves. And she's the first Muslim woman to have that at Macy's. I spoke to Chaya and Simi of uh, a company called The Frock NYC. And they are Orthodox Jewish women, they're sisters. And they make modest fashion, you know, uh, strictly adhering to their own religious code. I spoke to Fatima Beg, who directed the modest fashion show in, in Toronto. So there's like all these people. And I thought it was very interesting that in as much as fashion is for women, it's not often by women. And being at the Toronto show and meeting all these women, you suddenly realize that this is at least one corner of fashion where the fashion is by women for women. And that is in itself, I thought, quite marvelous and interesting. You know? Yeah, I mean, it seemed like there were so many interesting personalities and people that you got to meet with. Yeah. So in your story, you mm. talk and you just said, you know, you're really into fashion. How has reporting on this actually changed your approach to fashion? I wish I could say loads, but no. <laughs> um, I just like clothes. So, um, I mean, I sometimes wear a head wrap. Um, so it felt like... I felt like the most basic level of, because I'm Muslim myself, but I don't wear hijab and I've never worn it. And so when, you know, I could see all these amazing styles and there were these amazing wraps and folds and I was like, wow, I will never learn how to do that. You know, like this is, it was fascinating to kind of see, but also to kind of understand where my own fashion fits in that spectrum. And the answer is not often. <laughs> Despite me wearing quite modest clothes today, it's pure accident. Um, what I found more interesting for me was just understanding and seeing a wider world. I think 
the community I've most focused on has been Muslim women because that's my community. But to find, you know, women from, you know, the, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints or, or Orthodox Jewish women, and to understand that they also have all these codes that they themselves are trying to interpret in a modern world and still be fashionable. Like this idea of adhering to your strict moral code, a religious code, but also, I like lace, I'm going to put lace on it or whatever. <laughs> that was very interesting. And seeing them kind of adapt clothes from mainstream stores, but also seeing them kind of make modest fashion stores. And, you know, I went down to the bazaar at the fashion show and I, I myself bought, I bought a massive, beautiful floor length tutu, which I will wear very soon. Come on, fashion. But there were all these options and there were so many, so many other people there. I mean, it was, it was all women. It was all women. And that in itself was just wonderful and fascinating. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, we're tweeting out the link to BIM's article, and you can catch our episode of Follow This on Netflix now. And next time, we hope you're going to come on with that tutu. I will. <laughs> Up next, Stephanie is sitting down with filmmaker and activist Sarah Ullman. Here's a tweet from filmmaker and activist Sarah Ullman. Good morning. We have 12 years to stop the planet from dying, and I'm up at 4 a.m. thinking about it. Anyone else? I'm thinking about it. You're clearly thinking about it. <laughs> Sarah joins us now. <laughs> so what was going through your mind when you tweeted that? Oh my gosh, what was going through my mind? I was pitch black and the glow of the screen was angled towards my face and I was in a pure panic. I mean, the world is, uh, climate change is a very serious threat and we need to do something about it. I totally agree. Well, you're the founder of One Vote at a Time. How do you use your film background to advocate about the causes you care about in a creative and unique way? Sure. So One Vote at a Time is a team of female filmmakers, and we make free videos for candidates who believe in gun safety legislation. So my role as a filmmaker is to help candidates by providing them with a free, high-quality campaign video. Very, very cool. Yeah. So. Why do you think it's important that, obviously we have a huge influx of women running this election in the midterms, why do you think it's important that these campaign ads are also directed and produced by women? Mm. Well, our team is all women because, first of all, it's possible. I had a lot of people doubt me that it was possible to have a crew full of all women. You know, are, is it possible to find a female grip or a female gaffer, a female DP? And of course it's and um, so our, we decided to make our team all women to show that, um, that you can have a high quality product and not compromise quality and have a team of all women. I think it's also, I, I really like the symbolism of it. I think a team of women fighting for what we believe in in this time, in this day and age, it's, um, it's important to me. Yeah, I mean, obviously it's possible. Let's just put that out there. But do you ever get any commentary when you show up to, uh, to produce these videos? And you're, do people ever say, oh, wow, this is a lot of women or anything like that? Yeah, usually our candidates know who we are you know, before we come. They know that we're a team of all women. But, but especially the female candidates will comment on how um, supported and protected they feel uh, by having a team of all women. They can talk about, um, about things honestly and ask us honest questions about what we think they should say and how we think uh, they should, what clothes they should wear, et cetera. Um, and they feel really supported and, and protected by it. Very cool. So you directed a video about women running for office in Afghanistan. What do you think are some similarities between the women running here and women running there? Mm. Obviously, there's a lot of differences, but there's similarities too. Yes, yes. Fun fact, did you know that there are more women in Afghanistan's parliament than there are in U.S. Congress? 
I did not know that. <laughs> wow. And, yes, and that is because Afghanistan has a constitutionally mandated quota. And so I think the common threads between women in the United States running for office and women in Afghanistan running for office is that we all care about core values like our families and wanting to make sure our children get education and that we have food to eat and clean water to drink. And um, I, you know, there are some profound differences, as as I as I as you said earlier. I think. The women in Afghanistan are are worried about uh, life and death in a in a more visceral way than uh, sometimes the female candidates here are. Um, but the stakes are real for everybody across the board. Wow, that's so interesting. So we have a lot of women in this series, this series who come up from a kind of a traditionally Trek background in what they're doing. And you obviously are an artist in your filmmaking, and you know you're doing the more of that side of your brain. And I feel like a lot of women who that's where their talent lies feel a little discouraged uh, when they're trying to pursue their goals. So what do you, would you have to say to people who are more creative, who want to also start businesses and really make an impact? Yeah, I think follow through is the is the key. I mean, I think that's a, a piece of advice that stretches across all industries, but especially for creative people. Oftentimes, we can um, get distracted maybe with um, the pursuit of perfection in a particular idea or particular piece. When what really matters is deciding on a goal and and pursuing it and and pursuing it uh, steadfastly until until you get where you want to go. I think that the only difference between um, what we're doing. And, and somebody who might have had this idea is just that, you know, I put one foot in front of the other in order to get here. You know, it's, it's, it's hard. There's a lot of challenges, but you, you have to navigate your way through them and just keep going. And sometimes just doing it proves to yourself that you can do it. Exactly. Sarah, thank you so much for joining us. More AM to DM is up next. Welcome back. Well, we still have a super long day of election coverage ahead of us, but do not worry. We have not forgotten about the biggest news of the day, <laughs> the answer to Zara's two truths and a lie. If you don't remember, her three things were... Walked on lava, climbed Mount Kilimanjaro, and held a moon rock. Okay, so I'm going to guess first what I think is your lie. Yep. And I know you're part Tanzanian, correct? So Mount Kilimanjaro would make sense to me. I feel like moon rock, I don't know, you're in you're in like climate, space, science, I don't know. It's all it's all the same, right? I know it's all the same. Don't at me. Um, I'm gonna say walked on lava is the lie. No. I wish I had my buzzer. <laughs> <laughs> I have not held a moon rock. I've dreamed about it a lot. I've seen people who have, because I used to be a geology major in college and did planetary geology stuff. But a couple of years ago, I had interned, oh my God, it's more than a couple of years ago, I'm old. No, it was like a decade ago. Um, I had interned for the Hawaii Volcano Observatory. And for that role, I was constantly walking around active lava flows. Now to be clear, we're not talking about like hot red flows, but some of them can cool pretty quickly. And so maybe within 10 minutes or an hour, I was having to traverse some areas I feel like your two truths and a lie is so cool because I feel like <laughs> the moon rock was the most believable. The other two were just so cool. Well, I have to hear about your Mount Kilimanjaro sometimes, but we'll, ha we'll have to do that some other time. We'll do it some other time, maybe tomorrow, we'll see. <laughs> uh, but we had asked you guys to send us your election day stories. 
Caitlin said, waited an hour and a half in the rain, but it's so worth it. Good for you, Caitlin. That's awesome. You know, I feel like a lot of times we can go and we can want to vote. I know this was kind of me this morning. I really <laughs> rushed through and I don't know if I would have the patience to wait there for an hour and a half. So good for you. That's awesome. We have another tweet from Kirsten Baptiste who says, I accidentally washed my shirt with a sticker still on it and it did not come <laughs> off. Yeah. PSA from Kirsten, take this off your shirt before you wash it. I have done that. I've done that with like athletic tape before and it was not good, not good. Hey, I'm impressed. As I said before, my sticker fell off immediately. So a little jealous. All right, Estelle loved one of our lower thirds during our Emily's List segment. And she tweeted, I love this. Women are not a fad, a fancy, or a year. That's right. Yeah, it's like a lot of, I feel like a lot of the coverage of the midterm elections and ever since Trump, ever since the Women's March, it's been like, oh, all of a sudden women are in, in politics. It's like, where did have, we even come yeah. from? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> like women have always been involved in politics. I think now they might just feel a little more empowered to do so. So I think no matter what your party affiliation, no matter what your beliefs, I think it's always good to have diverse voices in our government. So we support women who want to exercise their voice and become a political candidate. I think that's great. Well, we have so much more later tonight. Like we said, the election show, please watch it. It's going to be so fun, but we have to end it here. <laughs> so thank you to our guests, Darren Sands, Emily Kane, Tarini Party, Dan Fogler, Bim Adewunme, and Sarah Ullman. And in case you're wondering, our election results on AM2DM special coverage will be right here on Twitter starting at 7 p.m. And just one more little note, Zara and I will be back here tomorrow at 10 a.m. after all of this is over to break it all down. I mean, hope it's over. Anyway, fingers crossed. We'll see. So we see will you see tomorrow. you then. <laughs> Bye.